The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welger. You are listening to episode number 70. That's 7-0. Today is Tuesday, November the 14th. A couple of days late here because I was an asshole and I was moving over the weekend. We can't blame it on my co-hosts broadcasting from New Jersey, Jeff DeAnimal Wilson. Jeff, it was my slip-up this week. That uh, you know, we're usually one of the first podcasts out during the week, which I feel like people should be listening to us before anybody else. But I don't like to be influenced by other podcasts before I kind of give my breakdown of the fights. Anyway, we had an exciting weekend of fights, a lot of action going on, uh, a lot of big news stories. How are you doing, Jeff? Bill, I am feeling a little under the weather, but uh, as an MMA fan, I'm doing fantastic because we're coming off a an awesome card. Yeah, it really was. So UFC Fight Night from Norfolk, Virginia, headlined by Dustin the Diamond Poirier and Anthony Showtime Pettis. Really solid card, and it's hard to live up to the UFC 217 uh, avalanche that was last week. Uh, a lot of people, I think, probably didn't tune in for this one. And I, they really missed out. Uh, a really solid card up and down. I want to start somewhere that is probably pretty unlikely. I don't think anybody else would probably start talking about this, but that's with Rafael Sunsau and Matthew Lopez. The reason I want to start with that fight is because you and I were talking about it, Jeff, and you said it was the only fight from the main card you don't really remember. And I feel like this is the problem with Rafael Sunsau. He's one of the most forgettable fighters probably on the roster, definitely who's ever been in the top, 10 pound for pound at, at one time he was easily in the top five pound for pound his only loss of late to the bantamweight champion tj dillashaw and that was a decision uh the guy just you know quietly shows up to work does his thing even with a spectacular knockout that he had on saturday night uh he still is not getting the credit i feel he deserves so i wanted to start out with hafiela sunsau because i think he deserves a little bit more spotlight uh First of all, he brutalized Matthew Lopez's leg with inside leg kicks. The guy's leg was completely purple. Credit to Matthew Lopez for uh, continuing to come forward and, and fight through. And Asuncao often criticized for not finishing fights. He definitely finished Lopez. Threw a wild flying knee, and when that didn't land, he threw some big looping punches. One of them landed. Lopez hit the ground, and then Asuncao was bringing down a big hammer fist, realized Lopez was out and he held back. Very classy move by him. And, you know, he didn't have too much to say after the fight either, which I think is part of his problem why he's not getting the recognition. So uh, hopefully I jog your memory a little bit, Jeff. What are your feelings on this fight, and what do you do next with Rafael Sunsau? Yeah, Bill, uh, you did jog my memory when you mentioned that he held back that last punch. And yeah, dude, it was brutal, the knockout. And all credit in the world to Asuncao. And I've said this before, I love it when guys know that they have the win and they know that there's no need for any 
further uh, brutal punishment. So all credit in the world to Rafael, Rafael Asuncao. And uh, he called out TJ Dillashaw. Uh, I, for one, I think he's made a really good case with that knockout. So I say uh, give them the trilogy fight. If it's for the belt, honestly, I'd like to see it. I think it's a hard fight to sell. But definitely one that, as more of a hardcore fan, I definitely want to watch. Yeah, definitely. That would be a hard one to rope in a casual fan for, especially if you're talking about a pay-per-view. And I don't think Dillashaw would go for it since he's looking for super fights with Mighty Mouse and things like that. Um, I'd be up for a Sun Sal fighting Cody Garbrandt. I think that'd be a fun fight. I don't know about your thoughts on that one, but uh, I I could see that one being a title eliminator or who knows how long until Dominic Cruz is healthy again. A Sun and Cruz would be fun. Um, you know, maybe a Sun Sal could step in if he's not injured or anything with Jimmy Rivera. Not Probably not when Jimmy Rivera was scheduled to fight Dominic Cruz, maybe a, a little bit longer of a layoff for a Sun Sal, but there's some fun things going on in that division. I, I feel like uh, you know, it was just the three-way dance with Cruz, Dillashaw, and Garbrandt, but now you're adding in a few uh, few extra exciting pieces there. You got Jimmy Rivera coming up, I think 20 wins in a row, something ridiculous like that. And now you have a Sun Sao back in the mix who, uh, like I said, unfortunately, is one of the most forgettable fighters to ever be in the top five pound-for-pound pound list. Uh, you, there was a time when Rafael Sun Sao was considered unbeatable, so it, it's weird that people forgot about him so quick. So I wanted to lead off with that. Uh, now let's get back to the way we normally do things. Start with the main event, work our way down. Awesome fight, Jeff. And I know you were a little bit tired Saturday night. I was texting you. I was hoping you didn't fall asleep for this one, but I know you. I think you went back and watched the next day. Just a bloodbath. So back and forth. I mean, Poirier controlled the fight for the most part throughout, but Pettis had his moments where he had some – Really good sweeps on the ground, and uh, he had Poirier's back. He had some triangle attempts. Uh, it was really back and forth, really exciting, and Pettis just a bloody mess at the end of this thing. Um, not not the greatest result in the world. Uh, if you remember the end of the fight, Pettis was kind of twisting around while Poirier had his back, and Poirier had a body triangle in, and Pettis twisted the wrong way, and I guess popped a rib out and had to – tap to that. Uh, I have dislocated a rib before a couple of times. It is excruciatingly painful. And what is more painful than it popping out is having to have it popped back in. It really hurts a lot. So uh, I can definitely feel for Anthony Pettis there. And I understand why he tapped to that pain. Um, but Definitely not the result I think a lot of people would have wanted, not the exclamation point that that fight deserved, but still fight at night, and they walked away with bonuses. Dustin Poirier calling out the winner of Justin Gaethje and and uh, Eddie Alvarez and uh, sign me up to watch either of those fights. Uh, what are your thoughts on the fight, Jeff? And what are your thoughts on what's next for Poirier and for Anthony Pettis, who is kind of slumping lately? Yeah, dude. Uh, now. I agree with Poirier, and I said this last week building up to it. I thought that Poirier was looking good as of late, and, you know, I'm glad that he called out one of the higher-ranked fighters. I'm glad, uh, you know, I and like you said, I, I'm with you 100%. I would love to see 
um, Poirier versus Gaethje, Poirier versus Alvarez. I feel like uh, both of those fights are barn burners, um, especially if uh, that rematch against Alvarez is anything like their first fight, uh, which was unfortunate how it got cut short. Uh, an illegal knee was thrown, but uh, awesome fight building up. And yeah, dude, Pettis versus um, Poirier was such a great fight on Saturday night. Definitely fight of the night material. Uh, super back and forth, especially uh, Pettis's ground game off his back was phenomenal to see. And, you know, at this point, it's hard to give up on him, man, because we've seen glimpses of him. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like ever since that loss to, uh, I believe it was Eddie Alvarez. No, the the loss to Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, yeah. it, he's just not looked like the same guy, unfortunately. There have been glimpses, but again, overall, he's just not looked like the same guy as of late. Yeah, for sure. I think RDA kind of expressed the formula to beat Anthony Pettis and that's to pressure him if you give him the range to open up with his kicks or if you put him on his back and you you don't keep putting pressure and constantly keep stacking him up like Poirier did uh, he's gonna find an opening uh, but if you press forward the way Poirier did uh, the way Max Holloway did on him then eventually he kind of cracks under that pressure uh, he needs space. He needs timing to to counter, and uh, people haven't been giving him that. So he needs to make some adjustments there in his game. I wouldn't mind seeing Anthony Pettis taking on the loser of Alvarez Gaethje, and you know that might be the nail in the coffin in terms of Anthony Pettis being a top ten fighter. I don't know where he's ranked right now, but I think if he loses to either one of those guys, it would definitely knock him all the way down the ladder. Uh, which would be unfortunate. But yeah, uh, sign me up for Poirier versus Alvarez or Poirier versus Gaethje. Um, uh, I would watch any combination of those guys fighting uh, an unlimited amount of times. So I I'm really looking forward to that fight, Jeff. That's that's like one of the top, top fights I'm looking forward to uh, that's on the horizon right now. So the co-main event, I was saying last week, I wasn't too excited to see this because Matt Brown, Diego Sanchez, two guys who I don't want to say they're at their end of the rope. I'll say it as they have nothing left to prove. You know, these are two guys who have gotten in there and given their all and given so many entertaining fights over the years. Uh, Diego Sanchez, the only active fighter from the first season of the ultimate fighter still in the UFC. Uh, he's fought everywhere from 185 pounds to 145 pounds, moving back up to 170. A lot of people said he looked good at the weigh-ins. I thought he was carrying a little bit too much weight. I like him at 155. I think he's too big for 45. Uh, I think 155 is the sweet spot. Personally, I don't want to see Diego Sanchez back in there at all. Uh, if if he's going to fight again, I would like it to be at 155 pounds, but, man, that was one of the most brutal knockouts of all time that he suffered from Matt Brown. Uh, if you're listening and you didn't watch it or you don't really remember, Matt Brown caught a kick from Diego Sanchez, pushed him up against the cage while holding his leg, and then lined him up and threw one of the nastiest elbows in the history of elbows being thrown. And Diego Sanchez kind of turned his head as the elbow was coming in. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'm demonstrating this. It kind of caught him like behind the ear. Some people kind of saying that's illegal, but you know what? When you're getting a strike thrown at you and you move your head, 
I, I think that's fair game. Uh, credit to Matt Brown for a spectacular highlight reel knockout and, uh, you know, performance of the night bonus. I think it's going to be hard for him to walk away after this one. It was meant to be his retirement fight, but it seems like he's got that itch again. And after being on such a high from a knockout like that, uh, he might think about making another run for it. Um, I think it would be nice to see him go out on a high note, but I don't see it happening. I think he's going to get back in there. Uh, I don't think he has fully thought about a plan for retirement yet, what he's going to do uh, in terms of making money. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of this, Jeff? Yeah, dude. Um, I, I think Matt Brown should kind of ride off into the sunset here. And uh, But, dude, uh, I agree. That was a spectacular finish. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think that's one of the worst knockouts um, that I've seen Diego Sanchez suffer from. And he's a guy who's who's definitely got a lot of trauma to the head, a lot of, um, what's the term for it? Uh, uh, that skin buildup. Uh, what's it called? Callus? I'm like, uh, kind of. Uh, scar tissue, scar tissue. Uh, I feel oh, like okay. he's got a lot of scar tissue, if you notice. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I think that, um, I think for Diego Sanchez, I think it's time to hang it up. Uh, like you said, he's got nothing left to prove. He's fought in like four weight classes in the UFC, man. The only other person to do that, I think, is Kenny Florian. Uh, don't quote me on this, but um, yeah, the, those guys have nothing left to prove. Uh, you know, if they left the UFC today, uh, I think that people would leave with uh, fond memories of both of these guys. For sure. All right. So speaking of weight classes, uh, Junior Albini, <laughs> who came in in the Reebok diaper um, and broke Twitter, this poorly fitting fight kit. Uh, I don't know what happened, if they misordered or if he maybe gained some weight. He came in at 265 and a half which is <laughs> almost over the limit for heavyweight against an Andre Arlovsky who looked patient, looked crisp, had fast hands, and just worked the young kid over who did not look like the hungry young kid against uh, the wily veteran in there in Arlovsky, whose nose is still smashed like silly putty on his face, but he's still in there doing a damn thing, Jeff, and uh, put on a pretty good performance. So, Every time you think Arlovsky's done, you know, he he comes in there and he proves what a tough son of a bitch he is. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, his boxing looked great against, you know, what should have been the younger, hungrier fighter. Uh, uh, not too many thoughts on this otherwise. Uh, any commentary on the Arlovsky and Albini fight? Yeah, I thought Orlovsky uh, looked great in there. His boxing was really crisp. He was on point, and he was working the right part of uh, Albini, man. He was working that uh, pudgy-looking body. So, uh, <laughs> you know, he came in with the right game plan. Uh, and, dude, Albini just looked like a giant New Year's baby with uh, with his massive thighs and his, and his little arms. Um, yeah, I don't he know, dude. like some kind of cartoon. Yeah, he really did. He looked like, uh, did you, I don't know, maybe this is a little, because uh, we're a little different in ages, Bill, but I don't know if you ever watched a cartoon called Captain Underpants. No, I never saw it. All right, well, look him up. You'll see a picture of Junior Albini in his place. Uh, so. Well, why don't you, 
do, do us a favor and tweet out a picture of that. that and uh, if you want to find Jeff on Twitter, it's at animal underscore Wilson on the Twitter. So maybe do a maybe do a side by side of that for us. He kind of looks like like Barney the dinosaur, like when you see <laughs> like the the big dumpy legs and like the <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Albini's a guy who looks great uh, in his UFC debut, and then uh, uh, you know they basically set him up with with Andre Arlovsky, gave him a great name to put on his resume there. And, and he didn't, he didn't show up to take care of business. So, uh, that's on him and his diaper, uh, Cesar Ferreira and Nate Marquardt had a really competitive fight. Uh, I don't have too many thoughts on it. Split decision in favor of Ferreira. Uh, any thoughts on that one, Jeff, before we move on down the line here? Oh, no, I thought, uh, I thought that everything that would happen did. Uh, so good job on Ferreira, but, uh, we can move on. Yeah. All right. So we'll we'll kind of breeze over the rest of this card. The only other fight I really wanted to go into detail on was Clay Guida and Joe Lozon. And when this fight was announced, I had such mixed feelings because these are two of my favorite fighters to watch. Uh, you know me, Jeff. I rarely make picks. Uh, I'm not oh I'm not usually rooting for one person or the other. I always just want to see a good fight. Uh, but this is one of those fights where I didn't want to see either guy lose. And unfortunately, Joe Lozon suffered a brutal TKO uh, that that could have been stopped much earlier. Uh, but we'll focus on the positive, Jeff, and that's Clay Guida looking reborn at the end of his UFC contract. And he told the people to ask of Dana White if he want if we want to see the Carpenter again that we got to speak up. Well, uh, if Clay Guida is going to be fighting like that, and he's already one of my favorite fighters to watch. Uh, he looks fantastic since joining Team Alpha Male. If he's reborn and back in the mix at 155 pounds, sign me up. Dana White, if you're listening, the MMA on the Rocks podcast is advocating for you to sign this man now. So, unfortunate night for Joe Lozon. Again, still one of my favorite fighters. I will tune in every single time that guy fights, no matter what. And he showed such class uh, after the fight, saying he didn't make any excuses and Credit to Clay Guida and always one of the classiest guys. I'll always remember uh, when he was very advocate about losing a decision uh, to Martin Held, which the judges gave to Joe Lozon. Lozon was like, no, I didn't win that fight. Uh, just a real stand-up guy. But awesome night for the Carpenter, Jeff. What were your thoughts on this fight? Yeah, dude. On the third day, Jesus came back out of the cave and – I don't know how the story goes, but uh, you know that that's what uh, <laughs> that's Jesus that's what was Clay a carpenter, Guida, Jeff. <laughs> and, yeah, and you know he had similar hairstyle, but dude, um, Clay Guida just looked revitalized in there, man. He he looked absolutely vicious. Um, you know, from the first bell, he uh, he starts throwing these hooks. One of them catches Joe Lozon clean, and then Guida just smothers him. Uh, and I agree with you. I think that uh, the ref let it go on for a little too long. Um, but, you know, all credit in the world to both Joe Lozon and Clay Guida. Uh, world class, both of these guys. And, dude, I'm with you. I 100% want to see Clay Guida at least three or four more fights in that octagon because he looked amazing. Always looks great. Uh, you know, if you can't tell, I'm a Clay Guida fan. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm also a Joe Lozon fan with you in there. Um, but yeah, dude, I'd love to see these guys fight again. Uh, doesn't matter who. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Clay Guida throwing his name back in the hat in what's arguably the most competitive division 
in the sport right now or in the UFC anyway. Uh, so I'm going to breeze over the rest of this card. You tell me what jumps out to you, Jeff. Uh, Marlon Marais and John Dodson fighting to a really close decision that kind of had the wind sucked out of it due to a few fouls, uh, eye poke and a groin strike. Uh, John Dodson on the wrong end of those. Tatiana Suarez dominant over uh, Vivian Perea. And this, these were two undefeated ladies going at it. Really good scrap. And then Super Sage Northcutt uh, getting the job done over Mitchell Quinones and having a really cool flip afterwards. So out of those three, Jeff, what's your pick? Which one stood out to you? Which one uh, was the most impressive? Uh, the only one I saw out of those three was Dotson versus Moise. Um, so that is definitely not going to be one of the ones to go back and watch. But I would definitely like to see that Sage Northcutt fight uh, because he he's been out of the cage for a while, which I think has been a good call on his team and on his behalf. Uh, I think that he had a lot of things to work on. So I'd like to see what he's improved, uh, what areas of his game he's cleaned up a little bit. So I'd definitely go back and watch that one again. Yeah, Sage looked good. He looked real patient, and uh, you know he played his game. Uh, a lot of people hate on that kid, uh, I, I guess because he looks the way he looks, and he he's, he talks like a goody two shoes and things like that. He's like a you know real clean cut kid. He looks like a fucking Greek statue. Uh, so there's a lot of jealousy involved uh, when people look like that. Seems to have a lot going for him. Only 21 years old, uh, so he's got a bright future ahead of him. And he's a solid fighter, so uh, you know, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing him get back in there again pretty soon. And speaking of getting back in there pretty soon, so one of the biggest news stories that came out over the weekend was Anderson Silva caught by USADA again, uh, tested positive for steroids again, uh, which he did after he fought Nick Diaz a couple of years ago. So who answers the call to step in against Kelvin Gastelum in China at UFC Fight Night 122, but Michael Bisping, who just fought uh, a week and a half ago at UFC 217 Madison Square Garden, now going to fight on the other side of the world against a young, hungry fighter who probably doesn't belong at middleweight, but has been doing really well there anyway. Michael Bisping with... Uh, what is going to be a three-week turnaround after the thrashing he took at the hands of George St. Pierre. You have to admire Bisping's guts here, but you also have to be concerned for his brain. I don't see how this fight is sanctioned, uh, maybe because it's overseas, but about all those elbows he took at the end of the GSP fight, and it makes me really concerned for Bisping. But, you know, credit to him. Uh, I don't think anybody could ha show any more balls than Michael Bisping. What are your thoughts on Anderson Silva popping hot again and Bisping stepping up to the plate, Jeff? Yeah, you got to understand. Silva's getting a little older. Uh, he's He's got to be like 38, 39, um, 42, maybe older. Jeff. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, so he's 42, man. Uh, mm -hmm. You know. I don't, I don't know how much he's got left in him, so you can't totally blame him for looking for, you know, some extra help, I want to say. Um, probably not the best way to go about it, but, you know, it, it's hard for me to, to root against Silva because I'm a big fan of his. Um, 
but you know that doesn't at all make it okay for for him to be taking steroids um but uh you know i'll let the ufc do what it uh deems is the correct punishment but um for this bisping fight man you got to give it to bisping like him or hate him dude's got guts man dude's a fighter um which is not always the smartest thing to be, uh, like in this case. Uh, like mm-hmm. you said, three-week turnaround. We don't know how much damage he took. Um, but unlike George St. Pierre, he was able to make the post-conference uh, after the fight uh, at UFC 217. So, you know, uh, maybe yeah, maybe he thinks he can recover fast enough. But um, at the end of the day, he's saving that card, man. So all credit to the guy. Yeah, for sure. I mean... Uh, man, but if he, if he gets knocked out again, that's going to be hard to watch, but yeah, all the credit to Michael Bisping for stepping up. And as far as Anderson Silva goes, when he got caught the first time, I didn't think it was a big deal to be honest. Uh, I know that's not a very popular opinion, but I mean, the guy broke his leg in half in the octagon. Uh, just the fact that he was able to walk through those cage doors one more time, uh, really speaks volumes about him. And some people are saying, he shouldn't even be in the conversation for greatest of all time anymore. I think that's bullshit because if you want to eliminate everybody who's taken steroids, uh, you know, how far down do you go down the list before you find a guy who hasn't taken steroids or hasn't getting caught? I mean, let's face it. The reality of it is almost everybody at this level is doing something that they probably shouldn't be doing. Uh, that, that's just the reality of the sport. Things become uh more stringent there are more ways around them uh so even guys who you think would never ever do uh steroids or performance enhancing drugs they probably are um so speaking of performance enhancing drugs bellator announced its heavyweight grand prix they're finally going to crown a heavyweight champion i was really excited to hear this at first jeff and i looked at the lineup and it's you know some of the most exciting fighters of all time but for a heavyweight Grand Prix, I only count three legitimate heavyweights in here. And that's uh, Roy Nelson, who's obviously a heavyweight, Matt Mitrione, and I forget who else is on here. Is it Fedor? That's pretty much, yeah, Fedor. But if you remember Fedor, when he fought, um, not the last fight against Mitrione, but the fight before that, he fought the Brazilian oh, against, guy in um... Uh, what was his name? Uh, Bustamante? Uh, no, but you're close. Uh, so I I can't remember the guy's name right now. It escapes me. Um, but he was, he was walking around almost like 185, 190 at that point. So Fedor definitely doesn't have the size behind him. He used to, uh, King Mo is really a light heavyweight. Chael Sonnen has fought at middleweight. He's in this tournament. Rampage Jackson is really a light heavyweight. Uh, Ryan Bader is the light heavyweight champion. We really only have a couple of legitimate heavyweights. Oh, Frank Mir is the other one. So Frank Mir, Roy Nelson, and Matt Mitrione are the only legit heavyweights in this tournament. I'm still excited for it, but then, you know, if you look at the matchups, like if Mitrione gets in there with Fedor, we know how that ended. Um, and, and then you got you got a Guys who are, some of them are practically middleweights. Like I said, Chael Sonnen has fought at middleweight before. Uh, it's still interesting, depending how the brackets look. I haven't seen the brackets yet, Jeff. 
I don't know if you have or not, but um, yeah, so pretty interesting. I was really excited about it at first. I don't know how I feel about it now. Maybe I'll get excited again when I see the brackets. What are your thoughts on this uh, Grand Prix here, Jeff? Bill, this Grand Prix, I can't talk to you. This Grand Prix sounds awesome. Um, you got some legends. You got some guys coming up, like in Matt Mitrione. Uh, I think it's a good yeah. call for, for Bellator to kind of establish their heavyweight division. But if their heavyweight division is going to have any longevity, they need to pick up some guys, man. Uh, I haven't seen anybody too impressive um, outside of Ryan Bader and Phil Davis in speaking of just their light heavyweight division. So they need to fill up that roster a little bit out. Yeah, for sure. And you know, they're clearly just going for the star power here with this tournament because you have legit head heavyweights on the roster like Czech Congo and Justin Wren. Uh, Justin Wren should be a contender for the heavyweight title alone, and you don't even have him in the tournament. Uh, I understand that he's not a big name, and, you know, you just signed Frank Mir. You got to throw him in there. Uh, Matt, Matt Mitrione is looking good. Chael Sonnen's one of your biggest names, one of your biggest draws. Um so I can see from a marketing perspective why they did it like this, but at the same time, you want to see Bellator legitimized a little bit, you know? Let's get eight heavyweights together and have them fight it out. Even if somebody's not well-known, uh, maybe they become well-known because of this Grand Prix. Um, so th those are my mixed feelings about it. Once it gets kicked off, I think I'll be feeling a little bit better about it and I'll get more excited. But something I am excited about, Jeff, is I picked up a six-pack this weekend uh, for the fights on Saturday. And I didn't get through it, obviously, because I'm having one now. I was also drinking some stuff that I brought back from Arizona. If you've been tuning in the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about uh, how I drank my way through the state of Arizona uh, from Phoenix to the Grand Canyon and back. Uh, so I'm going to skip this week talking about Arizona booze because I have a couple of things that haven't mentioned that I'm really excited about. But this past weekend, I picked up, Jeff, one of our staples, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. I picked up the Tropical Torpedo IPA, and it is fucking delicious, I got to tell you. Uh, you know me, I'm not a fan of things that are too sweet. So this is brewed with mango, papaya, and passion fruit, but... It's not an overpowering uh, sweetness. It's not a fruity beer by any means. The fruit actually uh, complements the hops really well. So it's a really hopped up beer, as you know, Jeff, that the uh, Sierra Nevada Torpedo is. Uh, so it's got that piney hoppiness to it, and the, the fruit just kind of mellows it out, just kind of rounds out the edges on the hops. It's really good. So uh, I recommend picking this one up, Jeff. Um, uh, what have you been sipping on? Uh, because I, I know you, you, you went pretty hard this weekend. Yeah, so, uh, Bill, I throw it back to uh, one of the first beers we had together to uh, Belgium, New Belgium Fat Tire IPA. Um, I love the hoppiness. Nice. And I followed that up with some, uh, also New Belgium, uh, Voodoo Rangers, which... Um, for those of you who have been listening for a while, I had this around um, maybe April or May of last year, the first time I tried it, and I got a citrusy like grapefruit flavor at the back end to go with the hops, so it was really good. Um, I found it on tap at a bar in Jersey City, so I was super excited that they had it, and I had to have me a couple of glasses of that. 
Awesome. Yeah, it's always good to find like a good throwback beer or a good beer that you've had uh, in a bottle or something. It's always awesome to find it on tap somewhere. It's like you're discovering buried treasure. Um, so awesome. So good suds, good fights, uh, lots of good things going on. You got any uh, closing thoughts? Anything else you want to get off your chest here, Jeff? Uh, well, one last thing, and it's more of a question. So, Bill, when you say Grand Prix, are you talking about the Grand Prix like they used to do in um, Pride, where it was four fights in two nights, or is it just going to be, you know, a couple fights here and there? See, they're calling it a Grand Prix, but um, I'm pretty sure they can't do multiple fights uh, in one night anymore. So it, this isn't kicking off until next year. So I like that they're getting a head start on their marketing. It's probably going to be, you know, the first bracket all in one night and then maybe the second bracket all in one night. You got to assume these guys are going to stay healthy throughout this thing too um, because you, you got a lot of guys that are pushing 40 uh, in this tournament here, but definitely not in one night. I don't I don't believe that's legal anymore unless they're doing it over in Japan or something. I don't know, but I don't imagine that we'll get that sanctioned. So, yeah, they're calling it a Grand Prix, but I think it's going to take place over time. And uh, I, if I were Czech Congo or Justin Wren, I would be staying healthy, getting ready to step in here because – uh, you, you got these monsters going in there and, and beating each other up and probably not coming in the best shape. Uh, we know Rampage hasn't been in the best shape his last couple of fights, and now he knows he gets to fight at heavyweight. So I can only imagine how he's going to look coming in there. Uh, and a couple of other guys, uh, the same goes for that. All right, so we'll call it at that. Uh, again, if you want to get a hold of Jeff on Twitter, it's at animal underscore wilson so please reach out to him give your drink recommendations uh talk some fights jeff always loves interacting with the listeners as do i you guys know how to get a hold of me by now it's at mma on the rocks twitter facebook instagram youtube uh you can email me if you want mma on the rocks gmail.com you can go to mma on the rocks.com so many ways to get a hold of me anyway for jeff the animal wilson my name is bill walker Thanks for tuning in. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye.